Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in and a big thank you especially to any of our live viewers. Uh, with me here is Liam, our producer. Hello. And we got a great show today. Actually, just amazing. I'm excited for you guys to see this. First up, we have a discussion about the intellectual dark web, some of the criticism they've been getting. Uh, then we're going to get into uh, another attack involving MAGA hats but quite different from the Jesse Smollett case that we saw not that long ago. Uh, then we have the Ben Shapiro interview coming up at, let's say, 20 minutes into the show we're going to mm -hmm. aim for. Um, and then after that interview, we're going to be going into the questions of hypocrisy that are being raised around Bernie Sanders and Beto O'Rourke's tax returns, how apparently there's not that much charitable giving. And then we're going to close off the show with an interview with Avi Yemeni, who you guys might be familiar with because he recently exposed Jim Jeffries and uh, was deported from the U.S. So he's going to tell us all about that. And uh, before we get into it, I just want to say for our live viewers, we're going to be doing what we did last time, waiting till the end until we address the Super Chats. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you want to support this show, then don't forget to head over to blazetv.com forward slash Lauren. That is the only way we are accepting financial donations. We're not doing Patreon or any, anything like that. Got to head to Blaze TV to subscribe. You also get other shows like Louder with Crowder. Uh, you get Glenn Beck, Mark Levin, uh, White House Brief with John Miller, Graham Allen, Ali Stuckey. And the with Phil. Yeah, yeah it goes on and on. So many. Seriously, I can't even keep up with all the shows we have. Um, yeah, so before we get into it, I think also we wanted to say a quick thing about the, uh, the cathedral. Notre yeah. Dame, as the, the Americans say in Paris, that burnt which down. Is, which is wrong, by the way. Notre Dame. You could say Notre Dame. You don't have to roll your R's. I won't make you do that, but... It's not, no, not, Notre Dame is a complete fool's way of saying that. Yeah, it, is a, it is a bastardization not, of Notre the French. Dame, <laughs> Notre Dame, yeah. yeah. Um, so very sad. I know both of us are really into churches, architecture in yeah. general, so I think we were both pretty taken back by it. Um, it's looking like the main part of the building has been preserved pretty yeah. all right. I think it's just mainly the roof and the spire. I think a lot of people have already donated or pledged money yeah to they say uh, about a billion dollars already been raised yeah. um and there are ways that you can donate online too but you might want to wait you might want to be very careful too because there are scammers out there but there are ways you can do that yeah i hate how we live in a society where it's like there are people out there that would be willing to take advantage of people's charitable donations but yeah uh, that's its own thing. All right. So the intellectual dark web, I think before we get into this, it's important to define exactly what the intellectual dark web is, because I don't think there's ever really been like a statement released by anything. No. Uh, it's pretty much this group, this collection of academics and commentators. Uh, in my opinion, what kind of, I don't know, unites them is a willingness to discuss taboo issues and engage with people who disagree with them. Yeah. I think is kind that of seems to I be think. the only common denominator is, is they're unapologetically like pro free speech. Yeah, and uh, you know when you're talking about the IDW, it includes people like Sam Harris, Jordan Peterson, Ben Shapiro, um, Eric Weinstein. Eric Weinstein. Yeah, I don't think there's like an official list, but those are kind of the the guys who usually get grouped into it. And uh, mm. actually, not that long ago, Sam Harris uh, tweeted out a chart uh, that we have an insert for, kind of comparing all of the views that the people in the intellectual dark web have. Uh, as you can see, I mean, this this kind of lists the issues uh, kind of left versus right. Uh, climate change, abortion, stronger gun laws, believe in gun ownership. Um, and, you know, as you can see, it kind of just based on this looks like overwhelmingly uh, they're they're quite a liberal group of people. That's something that the intellectual dark web has been accused of being a lot by, I think, the far left uh, is Nazis, yeah, white supremacists, of course, or at least white supremacist enablers. Uh, but if you actually alt right adjacent, perhaps, <laughs> yes, I like that term. If you actually look at what they believe in, though, um, you know, they they tend to be liberal on things like abortion, uh, like immigration. Uh, drug legalization, gay marriage, I think with the real exception of Ben Shapiro, he's honestly the only person that I would say in this chart would kind of prove that who actually is conservative. Um, yeah. Not to say that there isn't more I don't, political differences within the other people, but overall, I think Ben Shapiro is kind of the only conservative one there is. Why is this relevant? Uh, because recently, uh, Quillette, which is an online publication founded by Claire Lehman, uh, love her, love the site. I continue to love her and love the site, despite the fact that a piece that was recently released on it I, I have some issues with. Um, so the piece in question is called Is the Intellectual Dark Web Politically Diverse? And it was written by Yuri Harris. Um, now again, 
I disagree with a lot of what this piece says. We're going to get into it. But I just want to say, just so there can be no mistakes, I'm not saying we should cancel Quillette, cancel Claire Lehman. That yeah. is totally against what Quillette is trying to do. They do a really good job fostering open conversation about a variety of different subjects. They publish things by people like academics that other places won't. So I, when this piece was released, I was seeing people already saying, oh, I'm so disappointed. They're done. Uh, let's not be those people. Okay, let's let's just take this for what it is. We could talk about it. No one needs to cancel anybody. Um, so this author, uh, he essentially disputes that the idea that, say for Ben Shapiro, the IDW is liberal. And he seems to have an especial issue with Dave Rubin. Uh, before he ever wrote this piece, he tweeted out uh, in response to the chart that kind of laid out all of their political positions, mm -hmm. this is misleading. Just take a look at Dave Rubin's timeline. He relentlessly attacks Democrats, retweets Trump Jr., and hangs out with Candace Owens and Charlie Kirk. Proof is in the pudding. Some of the other people are debatable, but clearly the chart is missing, some missing something. Um, so in this segment, I kind of want to talk about the idea, does who we talk to, do the people we interact with, and do the people that we criticize define our political affiliation? I mean, I definitely wouldn't think so. I, I mean, I think it's, it's part of the whole program, I guess, you know, right. what's, what's going on, but it's definitely not everything. Yeah, I, I think so too. And I see this attack launched against Dave Rubin and people like Tim Pool, who we have a tweet from later all the time. The fact that, oh, you're criticizing the left so much. How can you call yourself a liberal? And I think I, I want to clarify, when people like Dave Rubin or Tim Pool criticize the left, I've never seen, seen them criticize, I don't know, Things like free speech, gay marriage, uh, having, and let's say like interracial marriage. I don't know, right. genuine progressive values. I've never seen them criticize those things because they support those things. And I think when, when people say Ruben and Tim Pool are always criticizing the left, what they really mean is that Ruben and Tim Pool are always criticizing a very small yet vocal portion of the left mm -hmm. who do things like try to stamp down on free speech, try to uh, potentially label other people racist, even though they're not like they're being very specific with their criticism. Right. Uh, and if you do support either left or right or any other kind of position in between in any way, do you, does that mean you have to support everything that that group does and yeah. everything yeah. that every part of that group does? Right. So it's only rational that these people would be criticizing what they don't want to see in their political friends. Right. And it's, I kind of, I take issue with this because I've gone through a similar thing. Uh, the whole thing with the alt-right, when Charlottesville happened specifically, I made a whole video denouncing the alt-right, saying why I'm not a white nationalist, white identitarian. And I had a lot of people on the alt-right say, oh, so you're, so you're a liberal, you're not a conservative then. It's like, I'm sorry, but you fringe weirdos don't get to define what the entirety of the movement means. Um, and I kind of feel like this is exactly what uh, the, the left-wing people who aren't racial identitarians or authoritarians are trying to say like no you don't get to tell us that we're right wing and we're not left just because you happen to be way to the fringe it, it doesn't work like that mm -hmm. um but harris he he kind of talks about how even with peterson you know you say that he's not really right wing but he's embraced by all of these right wing figures um people embrace jordan peterson all across the political spectrum because of his I think his willingness to talk about issues like self-improvement, the idea of masculinity, our societies kind of descend into madness when it comes to gender. Those are not right versus left issues. And I feel like, I don't really know anything else about Harris, but I feel like just reading the piece, and if you haven't read it yet, I encourage you to go to quillette.com. I don't want to be accused of, you know, misrepresenting what he's written. Um, he kind of tries to frame it as there's this, new right and new left. It's like, yeah, sure, people like Dave Rubin are liberal on things like gay marriage and uh, abortion, but that's not really what the left versus right debate is about anymore, uh, to which I would very much disagree. Like, I mean, yeah. outside of YouTube politics, which is not the entirety of the political debate, uh, that is actually very much what divides the left and right. Um, but he writes in one piece, one part in the article. So in the YouTube world of politics and culture war, it's largely irrelevant that Dave Rubin is gay married and pro-choice. What matters is that he angrily calls out these social justice warriors of the new left. Again, identitarians don't define the left. And actually, a Tim Pool responded to this article in a tweet that I think we can pull up um, in an insert. 
Yeah, he says, it's not a new left. It's the complete destruction of the old left. It's a small fringe fact small fringe faction being amplified by social media and then excising their left-wing opponents with smears. He continues that, I didn't stop being left because these people hate free speech, free press, etc. I don't stop being left because I defend cultural mixing and interracial relationships. There is no new left. There is a left being torn apart. Uh, I completely agree with that. You know, people like Tim Pool and Dave Rubin, their political views didn't change just because a bunch of other people started complaining uh, about free speech. Mm -hmm. I also think part of the assertion of this article is wrong because we, we actually we were, we were going to do a segment the other night on the constituency of the left is not necessarily what is right. reflected online. So people that post politically online, essentially, and this probably goes for the right wing as well. Yeah, I would just say. in general. But this was just uh, focusing the left wing. There was an article on this that said that people that post political topics on the left, their, their views are far more to the left than the average Democrat. Mm -hmm. The average Democrat's far more likely to identify as a conservative and a lot more other things. Just so, be more moderate in general. Right, in general. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, that absolutely is quantifiably true. And so I think there is a huge problem in trying to redefine a new left based on what you see online when that new left, they're a small, small fraction of the actual left. And you know what? It would actually be kind of good for us if we were to brand all of these people to the right of Bernie Sanders as new conservatives, because then it's kind of like, <laughs> oh, everybody is a conservative. I guess we're winning. But it, it wouldn't be intellectually honest, I think. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, at one point in the piece, uh, we have an insert for this. Harris essentially complains that Rubin doesn't do enough to further left-wing causes if he is left-wing. Kind of like, okay, well, say, say you are left-wing, even though you agree with all these right-wingers and hang out with all of them. Uh, why don't you talk about more what makes you left-wing? So we have that, that uh, quote up here. Uh, he writes, to put it more concretely, when Rubin and Shapiro get together to do a show, are they bridging the political divide between left and right in order to find common ground, despite disagreeing on fundamental issues? Or rather, are they simply setting aside their disagreements on things like gay marriage and abortion in order to focus on what truly matters to them politically, defeating the new left? I find the second description far more convincing, and indeed, it seems to me to apply to virtually all the IDW members. Um... Here's the thing. Dave Rubin and Ben Shapiro have literally come together to discuss gay marriage and abortion and how they disagree. And I know some people are going to say, oh, you're white knighting Dave Rubin. I mean, I'm a fan of Dave Rubin. I've just been on his show. Uh, but he, at the same time, he's a big boy. He doesn't need me to stand up for him. He's released his own statement on this, which you can find on his social media. But I am commenting on this because I very much very much disagree with the idea that who you choose to criticize, who you choose to talk to defines your own political views, right? And you know what? Dave Rubin, he's not, he's not far left. I don't think he's ever claimed to be. I would say he's economically libertarian and socially progressive. Um, yeah. Whether you classify that as being left or right, I don't think it really matters that much. But it seems to me like this whole article is kind of, kind of a criticism that the IDW isn't politically heterogeneous enough, but really the only thing these people have in common is that they dislike the, the far identitarian left. But, I mean, if you really want diverse political opinions, does that mean they would have to bring someone, like, far right on as well? I don't hear this guy complaining that there aren't enough right-wingers on, even though literally the only actual conservative is Ben Shapiro. Well, the things that he's asking that the IDW talks about more, I think that they actually have positions on, and these positions are fairly clear, yeah. right? They actually, there's not, it's not like any of them aren't, like, capable of speaking on these topics. They speak on these topics, and they just come out against the left yeah. in every way. So it's not something that you need people to support these views in order to have these discussions. I think that these reviews just need to be soundly rejected across the board, and that's what these people often do on the yeah. IDW. Yeah, and you know, re regarding issues like gay marriage and abortion, again, uh, if you actually look at the people Ruben has had on his show, because I think people tend to forget that Ruben, he's a little bit different than someone like Jordan Peterson. His main shtick is that he's an interviewer. Yeah. Um, he actually just had two people on, uh, Lila Rose, who we've had on our show, and Ali Stuckey, who we've also had on our show, uh, two pro-life ladies, and he interviewed them, and I think he honestly pushed back with the pro-choice perspective as much as he reasonably could, considering that it was a an interview, right? And that it's, it's not a debate. Um, so anyway, Harris concludes the article by essentially saying the IDW needs to make a choice on whether it's partisan or not. 
Uh, my response to that is is why, right? I mean, why why do they have to make an official choice on anything? They're just a collection of people. Yeah, it's crazy. Even that is like a bit of a stretch. I know I watch enough Rogan, but he's he just says like this is called the intellectual dork web to him. <laughs> it's it's something that like Brett Weinstein invented, I think, and he thinks it's kind of like cloaks and daggers, internet yeah, games. Yeah, but it's you know, it's so not it's, an official organization. No, it's just it's a just few a dudes really that that went to a steakhouse together at one point. And, yeah, you know, it's, it's it's yeah. There's no. It's not an official club. Each one of them can have their own opinions, their own approaches. Uh, you know, some people even can be, I think Dave, Dave Rubin, he can, you know, choose to affiliate or support whatever political candidates he wants. Uh, if he wants to be partisan, which I don't think he necessarily is, that also still wouldn't preclude him from having these kinds of conversations across the aisle or reaching out to people who disagree with him. So, I mean, essentially, um, I think the issue here is that it's it's okay to criticize anybody, but I think the the crux of this article is questioning Dave Rubin's political affili- affiliations for the wrong reasons. I think that would be the first thing. And second, I think this person seems to have a very different idea of what the IDW actually is versus mm-hmm. someone like me. I just see them as a bunch of figures who stand for the same things regarding free speech, but they're not an official organization. They don't have like an official motto or anything like that. So There's no password. Yeah, it's... yeah, exactly. Like essentially what unites them is a willingness to engage with ideas that are taboo and with the other side. Like that's it. Uh, doesn't mean you can't criticize them, but I don't know. In general, you guys can let me know what you think. If you, if you read it, I just... I didn't get a lot from this article. Again, not to hate on Quillette or even even this author in particular because I, I really don't know anything else about him besides oh, this. It's also important to mention that we did call him Harris at one point and his name is Yuri Harris. It's not related to Sam Harris in the uh, IDW. Oh, yes. So. Good, good thing to point out. Uh, all right. So next up, MAGA hat attack. And I think we have a clip for that. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I, as this is being pulled up, I want you guys to kind of keep in mind that I actually... I only saw this being reported on in certain parts of Twitter. This is, as far as I know, not this huge blown up national story. And I think that's important to keep in mind. But here we can uh, we can play that for you guys now. When two men approached, they told him to take off his hat, a hat that he wears all the time. He says he was shocked when then one of them hit him from behind. And I was like, why are you doing that? You know, we don't have to do this. They said, no, 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 that, that hat is not, you know. So, and then um, they started, you know, punching me on my head. Atsu Nabel says the two men began harassing him as soon as they spotted his MAGA hat, shouting that he take it off. He told them that he is entitled to his political views and tried to walk away, but they became violent, repeatedly hitting him until he fell to the ground. Nabel says he came to the United States legally from Togo in West Africa in 2007 and is now a U.S. citizen. He supported the Republican Party and President Donald Trump from the beginning. Witnesses called 911 and Montgomery County police say officers canvassing the area found the two suspects at a nearby basketball court attempting to hide among the children playing. 27-year-old Javon Crawford and 25-year-old Scott Robertson are facing multiple charges including second-degree assault and robbery. You know, uh, nothing says tolerance and peace and love like beating up non-white immigrants for their clothing choices. Um, Yeah, so I think this is essentially why we need to keep fighting back against the idea that Donald Trump is a white supremacist or is a neo-Nazi. Because if we just accept that, essentially what that means is that his supporters are neo-Nazis and white supremacists and are trying to round up brown people and just like lock them in cages. Uh, It's important that we push back on that because Mm -hmm. this stuff... This kind of thing happening is unfortunately all too common. You hear about it pretty often if you keep up with independent media. People wearing MAGA hats, not always being full-on physically assaulted, like what happened here, thank goodness. But being mm-hmm. being harassed, uh, being given a hard time, I think uh, Tim Pool actually recently covered a story. I think it was him uh, where there was an elderly man in California just wearing a MAGA hat and you know someone actually tried to chase him out of the store, get him to remove yeah, it. I, yeah, I believe I read that too. Yeah, um, awful. <clears throat> What's interesting to me here is that you often hear that if you're a Trump supporter, you're anti-immigration. This guy was actually an immigrant. (laughs) He was a first-generation immigrant. I think they mentioned that in the video. Um, And someone like him might come to the realization that he would never be in this country if you just had open borders with Mexico. Something like that where you just unvetted let everybody in then people that actually go through with the, the actual process they're supposed to take Who might take never... the extra time and pay the money that yeah and do it legally like to, the way yeah. that you the law dictates you should uh that you might never have the chance to get to america so 
It's, it's a lot more nuanced than saying that being a supporter of Trump is being anti-immigration. Yeah, which now, is too bad because, I mean, there are so many people who I think would love to be more open and vocal about their support for Trump, but because of stuff like this, they're scared to. Um, mm -hmm. If this had been the other way around, um, a African immigrant supporter of, let's say, Bernie Sanders or Hillary Clinton had gotten beaten up by the political opposition, you can bet your bottom dollar. This would be everywhere. Actually, I think it did happen. Or not really, but uh, the Smollett situation, yes, right? So, I mean, it's true. literally like the inverse of the Smollett situation. Except real. So, Except, yeah, yes, the inverse. <laughs> and all six people involved in both those stories, I want to point out, uh, all bearded African men. So, it's just the beards, I guess, that's doing it. But it's like, uh, yeah, it's just, um, yeah, it actually happened. And the, the difference I will say is that for Smollett, the implication was that he was being physically attacked because he was gay and it was a racial crime. Whereas this is like you're being attacked for a political view. So it's slightly better maybe because it's it's not... Yeah, I, I know, guess. But, but I, I mean, at the same time, I think that is what a lot of left-wing people would say, that your political right. views are not don't put you in a protected class, therefore it's okay. Uh, but this just... This leaves a bad taste in my mouth, especially since the last episode we did was about the NBC Good Fight promo where he says, literally, it's time to punch some Nazis. Um that's where this kind of violent rhetoric gets you to just your everyday immigrant uh, yeah. African Trump supporter being punched in the face. So moral of the story, let's stop punching each other in the face. There's no need for violence. And I do wish that the media would, would be more even handed in calling out violence or focusing on violence evenly, regardless of who the victim is. Mm -hmm. There's a definite double standard here. But uh, I think with that, let's uh, get into our interview with Ben Shapiro. I know you guys are all looking forward to it. Uh, we'll be back in just a few seconds with Ben. Hey, Ben, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So you have this new book out, The Right Side of History. Love the name, by the way. And in it, you talk about the unity between morality and reason that has kind of shaped the West. For reason, you turn to the Greek tradition, and for morality, you cite Judeo-Christian values. And uh, it's about those Judeo-Christian values that I would like to begin our discussion on. Uh, because in my opinion, religion is really the issue that sort of separates you from the re rest of the intellectual dark web. Uh, you have people like Jordan Peterson, Brett Weinstein, and obviously Sam Harris, who I think see religion quite differently than you do. Not only do you not see religion as a negative thing, which in and of itself is pretty novel in the rational or uh, skeptic community, and you also don't see religion as merely a useful form of social control to ensure that people don't do bad things. Uh, you're actually a believing, practicing Orthodox Jew. So with that in mind, I would like to ask you something that I get asked by atheists all the time, which is that what can religion provide that secular humanism and morals derived from evolutionary psychology cannot? Uh, because even when people mention that religion is a good thing because it prevents people from killing each other, a lot of atheists or humanists might say that, yeah, that, that is a positive thing, but it's nothing that our natural uh, biological drive to make our species prosperous wouldn't have endowed us with either way. So what, what's your position on that? Well, my response to that is that what the age of the Enlightenment shows, the post-Enlightenment age demonstrates, is that secular humanism is not self-proving. You have to take certain assumptions, and then you have to reason based on those assumptions to secular humanism. And again, we share fundamental assumptions with a lot of secular humanists, but reason doesn't have to go that way. The Enlightenment did result in gulags and gas chambers, and all of the people who were pushing the gulags and gas chambers thought themselves quite reasonable and had separated themselves off from the roots of Judeo-Christian religion. The French Revolution was executing people at the same time it was worshiping the cult of reason. So reason doesn't necessarily get you to all the places that secular humanism wants you to go. And in fact, most secular, humanism, most secular humanists, without even knowing it, are living off the fumes of a Judeo-Christian value system, which is why secular humanists in the West are sharing values with religious people in the West on a broad level with regard to the, the value of each individual human being. There's nothing in reason that tells you that every human being is innately valuable. Really, there's nothing. I mean, if you, if you are a believer in evolutionary biology, in fact, there's a good case to be made that human beings are not innately provided with a certain level of value. Why should you treat the person who is weaker or the person who is incompetent as worthy of the same sort of respect as anybody else? There's no rational reason for that. And even if you were to say that there is an evolutionary biological rationale behind protecting members of your tribe, even the weak among your tribe, which most of human history, even that didn't happen, but even if you were to say that that is true, then why would you extend that out to other tribes? Why should there be values of tolerance? Why should there be a belief in free speech? Why should there be a belief that human reason should be used rather than violence in order to promulgate your viewpoint? None of this stuff is self-evident. 
And that's why the founders say in the Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident, not they are self-evident. We, meaning we in the Judeo-Christian West, hold these truths to be self-evident. We take these as the fundamental principles of our civilization. If you're a secular humanist, you at least have to acknowledge that you're making fundamental assumptions. If you wanna do that, then make the assumptions and, and you know, then we're on the same page. You just say there's no God and I say there is. But you have to assume, but the problem I have with, with a lot of secular humanists is what they will say is no, no, no. Those assumptions, I can arrive at with a priori reason and that, that those are the only reasonable conclusions and that I don't buy in the slightest. Mm -hmm. And it, what's funny about mentioning and talking about the Judeo-Christian West is that, I mean, as of right now, the Judeo part or Judeo-Christian part of the West uh, is really in decline. And even as someone who's Christian, uh, we can't really escape the the in inevitable truth that as countries become more wealthy and more educated, there does seem to be a correlation with them becoming less religious. Uh, a lot of atheists or humanists will point to that fact and see and say, see, it's because when people become more educated, uh, more enlightened, more reasoned, they need to rely less on religion. So, so my question for you is, how do you explain that trend? And if it continues, is it inevitable that eventually the, at least the wealthy part of the world will be completely secular in the distant future, maybe not so distant? Well, I mean, I do think that we are moving towards secularism, but I don't think that that is a sustainable methodology for upholding the happiness of a civilization, which is why you're seeing that we are so incredibly prosperous and yet we're angry at each other than we have been in a very long time. The death rates are going up in the United States to the point where life expectancy actually declines. And those are mostly deaths of despair in communities that historically were pretty prosperous, at least until the, the very, very recent past. That should tell us something. It's funny, when I hear people on, on the left and in the secular humanist community say, as countries get more prosperous, they, they get wealthier. Okay, well, as we get more prosperous, we also get more obese. Right, they're, they're, is the, does that yeah. mean that the obesity caused the prosperity or is it a possibility that as we become more prosperous, we forget the roots of what brought us the prosperity and we start discarding those things thinking that we're gonna be able to survive without that. We have yet to discover, what, and I think that we are discovering this, uh, that, se that secular humanism is a positive outgrowth of prosperity as opposed to a negative outgrowth of prosperity that allows us to abandon the principles of the past that, that brought us here. Are we ungrateful children who are looking at what we live in and saying that all the things of the past are stupid and therefore we can cut ties with those things? Or do we look to the past, we say these are great foundations and we have to keep building on those foundations. We have to question the foundations always, but we have to keep building on those foundations in order to continue building a civilization worth preserving. Um, next thing I want to touch upon is Julian Assange. He's obviously back in the news. He's been arrested. Uh, you've taken a, a very hard stance saying that this is a good thing, that if, you know, if you're someone who supports the world running safely and people not attacking American troops, you should be happy that Julian Assange is locked up. Uh, in your recent podcast episode that you, you covered this on, you, you talk about the idea that he's a Russian agent or at least very, or at the very least working with the Russians. Um, something that I've had people ask me to ask you is that in light of how the whole Russiagate thing ended and we see that intelligence agencies reports were maybe not always the more, most objective thing and keeping in mind that a lot of people do have negative intentions toward Julian Assange. Uh, some, some people are wondering uh, how, how we can look at those intelligence agencies without being a little bit skeptical based on their recent history. Well, I mean, I think skepticism of the intelligence agencies is warranted, but the, the idea that Assange was working closely with the Russians and may have been a Russian agent, I mean, that's been pushed by the intelligence community since 2011, 2012. So that's not something that crops up specifically with regard to 2016 and beyond. As far as him being locked up, the case that I've made, just to be fair, uh, is that Julian Assange is a bad man and WikiLeaks is a bad place. Uh, but that is not the same thing as saying that I think that we necessarily, I I'm still wondering what the indictment is going to say. Mm -hmm. the, the charges that they are filing against him right now, uh, we have not actually seen. We've seen they're, they're charging him on the basis of hacking. If he was actually attempting to hack along with Chelsea Manning uh, and then Bradley Manning, the, the American security infrastructure that's a crime, that's not a journalistic exploit. That would be criminal. If he was just publishing a bunch of stuff that he was asked not to publish, that makes him a bad human being. I'm not sure that that makes him a criminal per se, especially not if you're gonna, this is why the, the Trump administration is charging him not under the Espionage Act, but under hacking statute, because there are serious questions to be asked about the limits of free speech under the Espionage Act if applied. Mm -hmm. And before you go, I have some quick fire questions that people wanted me to ask you. Trevor Noah, funny comedian or funniest comedian? No, none of those things. I mean, I, I, Tre Trevor Noah can be occasionally funny, but there's a whole crop of woke comedians who are into the clapter 
not the laughter. And I think that Trevor Noah is one of those people. John Stewart actually used to be funny. He was really good at what he did. Uh, I don't think that the same thing holds true for Stephen Colbert or now even Jimmy Kimmel, who used to be funny. Uh, the, the, the sort of woke com comedying is more along the lines of Hannah Gadsby, where we're supposed to cheer you for your bravery as opposed to laughing at your jokes. Clapter, I like that. I think I might steal that. All right, uh, favorite color? Ooh, um, probably blue. Huh, would not have called that. Okay, hug or handshake, I have a feeling I know what you're going to say. Uh, family hug, uh, everybody else handshake. I don't know you, man. <laughs> okay, uh, cargo <laughs> shorts, yay or nay? Uh, nay. Okay, I, 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 I would push back if we had more time, but that's fine. We can move on. Favorite food? <laughs> uh, ravioli, the greatest <laughs> food ever created by God. You're surprising me today. Okay, uh, favorite pop song, you have to choose one, can't be classical, or least, least detestable. Pop song? I mean, God, I don't even listen to pop. I, I, don't, I don't know if I can name 10 pop songs off the top of my head. Whew. I love um, how this is the question that you're, you're taking time to I'm stumped to by this. I'm, I, I, like, there, there, are a couple of, <laughs> I mean, there, there are a couple of songs that have been released in the recent past that I thought were, were at least catchy, but I, but I can't name them. So uh, I'll have to get back to you on the actual names of them. Wow, did I actually stump you with an interview question? Yeah, I've got, I've got nothing. I've wow, got nothing. okay. Uh, most important question, to which Game of Thrones house do you belong to, Ben Shapiro? Oh, the Lannisters, obviously. I mean, but not Cersei. Tywin. Yeah. Tywin was my man. And okay. The death of Tywin was the great tragedy of Westeros. The entire place was holding together until they killed off Tywin. So, <laughs> R.I.P. R.I.P. Tywin. Also, but but as far as who should actually be on the throne, Stannis forever, baby. He's got the he's got the best legal claim to the throne. So, despite the fact that he they turned him into a child killer, so that was kind of sad. Yeah, I mean, I, I I used to ship Stannis too. I personally identify with uh, House Martell. They're you know a, a little bit exotic and spicy and i like to think of myself that way too uh, but ben shapiro thank you so much for joining us people can subscribe to you of course on the daily wire uh your book the right side of history is out now is there anywhere else people should be looking for you i uh, check me out on twitter obviously i'm pretty active over there and also you can check us out on facebook and make sure that you download our podcast anywhere podcasts are available all right again thank you so much for coming on we really appreciate it bye i appreciate it thank you so again, a huge thank you to Ben for coming on. And in about 10 minutes, we're going to have Avi Yemeni coming up. And actually, you look a lot like him. I don't think so. You do. I think that's fake news. No, you do. And actually, just for everyone in the chat who who always wonders if he's Arab, he's not Arab. <laughs> as much as <laughs> we, the least. As no. much as our team has been loving that meme, he's part, you're part native and you're part like Iberian. So yeah, Spanish. and the rest of it is Irish. Yeah, yeah. sorry. You just, you just said I'm part native and part Iberian. No. Like, I'm like 75% Irish and British, basically, but yes, just yes. to clarify. <laughs> no, and I love, like, not that there's that that anything concern wrong me, with being but... Arab, but it's just, I, I laugh at how sure some people are. They, oh, they yeah. say it as if it's not a question, just like, yeah, yeah Arab. But anyway, uh, Avi Yamni coming up in about 10 minutes. He's going to be talking about uh, his recent running, running with the FBI and Comedy Central. Great story. Uh, before that, though, we're going to be talking about a little bit of... Uh, a little bit of hypocrisy, potentially. Uh, so the Federalists recently released a piece about Bernie Sanders and Beto O'Rourke's tax returns. And actually, if we can, if we can pull that up, uh, they wrote that last night, the Washington Post reported that Beto O'Rourke released his tax returns for the past 10 years. Can we pause right there? I just, I don't like his nickname. Beto. I, I think we should just continue with calling him Robert. No, but he's name. like kind of Hispanic. Like not in the actual, he is Hispanic way, but he's Hispanic in the look how trendy and down with minority voters sort of way. Exactly. So so Robert. Yes. Robert O'Rourke. All right. He released his tax returns for the past 10 years. Of course, the feel-good, inevitably government-expanding presidential contender should probably have been more hesitant to release his returns because it doesn't take much sleuthing to figure out from them that the O'Rourke's made $370,000 over in 2017 while giving a measly $1,166 of that income to charity. As the Post noted, this makes Beto's charitable giving less than one-third of 1% 1 of his household income. Other candidates who claim conservatives are the true greedy ones and deserve to be smited for their fiscal sins don't stack up much better. Bernie Sanders and his wife gave roughly 3% of their astonishingly large $566,000 income to charity in 2017. All right, so this headline and this information is making the rounds on conservative uh, media shows and everything like that. Um, some people who may be wondering, why are you attacking them based on charitable nations? Why does this matter? I agree that it, you'd be a jerk to just pick a random person out on the street and say, how much are you giving to charity? Nope, not enough. Bad person. Okay, I don't, 
I don't approve of charity shaming people in general. We should all be trying to do as much as we can, but ultimately, you know, personal finances, I feel like should be kind of private. The reason why this is relevant, though, um, is because I think a lot of politicians on the left, specifically people like Bernie Sanders, but I think sort of Beta O'Rourke as well, Robert O'Rourke as well. I'm not as familiar with his platform aside from skateboarding yeah, and standing on things. Uh, but you know, a, a lot of, especially left-wing politicians, they'll say, um, you know, it's immoral to have all of this huge wealth and conservatives right. are often painted as not wanting to do enough for charity to help people. Uh, so I think that's why when stuff like this comes out, conservatives like to make a big deal out of it because it's kind of like, all right, you clearly believe um, in this sort of redistributive mode of government where people who are rich should be able to, should be taking care of people who are poor. And I think the point people are trying to make bringing this up is if you really do believe that and you're not just pandering for votes, why aren't you giving more of your own income, right? Because yeah, taxes are what they are, but you actually still can choose to pay more in tax if you mm -hmm. want to. And you can always choose to give more in charity if you want to. In fact, you often get a tax refund if you give to charity. Too, yeah, right? yeah, it's, so. it's deductible. Yeah. There's benefits to it. So why aren't these people uh, who preach that it should be, you know, society's responsibility, a government's responsibility to take care of uh, the poor and needy among us, why aren't they giving more, um, you know, especially considering they do often paint conservatives as heartless. And again, I don't want to speak for Beto too much because I don't, I don't know, I Robert too much because all I know is that he likes to stand on desks. But um, it, it turns out, and the article gets into this as well, uh, that conservatives, if you actually look at the breakdown, are more likely to give to charity than liberals. So perhaps there's also a case to be made that yeah. maybe Sanders and O'Rourke aren't, uh, aren't outliers in this situation. And that's Another excerpt from the piece that we have, uh, this is a quote from them. It says, there's something to be said for giving credit where due and recognizing when our political opponents do genuine good. Still, Arthur Brooks wrote on broader charitable giving habits in his 2015 book, The Conservative Heart, noting, households headed by a conservative give on average 30% more dollars to charity than households headed by a liberal. This discrepancy is not an artifact of income differences. On the contrary, the average liberal family earns an average of 6% more per year than the average conservative family, yet still gives less anyway. Um, so I hear this all the time, that you're a conservative, or this applies to libertarians as well, you want lower taxes and smaller government because you're greedy. You want to keep your own money, you don't want to help the poor. You want the poor to suffer. Yeah. You want the poor to suffer. Like, that's like your thing. That's your, your fetish is just seeing poor needy children not getting healthcare. That's like what gets you. Uh, no, not true at all. Um, I think there's a genuine difference in philosophy between liberals and conservatives. In general, I think liberals view government how conservatives view charity and the church, right? Because if a conservative wants to do good for people, which despite what some people may think they genuinely do, not every conservative is, is heartless, um, I think they, they would give money to charity, to their church, their local community, whatever. Mm -hmm. I think liberals, on the other hand, and I'm not saying that, you know, Beto, Robert O'Rourke, and Bernie Sanders are bad people, but I think they just genuinely do see the government as a necessary uh, intermediary for them to interact with their fellow man. I think they really genuinely do believe that if the government isn't coming and taking the money and distributing it, then there's like kind of no other way. I think a, a lot of people on the left genuinely do believe that, that yeah. if we want to help these people, it needs to be government. The irony, though, is that they believe it more for the people that donate more than themselves who donate less. <laughs> that's, the, yes. that's the irony of it all to me. Yeah, so I think it's it's definitely ironic. Um, and I think I know in response to this, people are going to say, well, what about Donald Trump's tax returns? When's he mm. going to, you're talking about other people's tax returns. Um, we actually know that Donald Trump gives a lot more to charity than these guys right off the bat because he actually donates his entire salary. <laughs> so we don't yeah. even need his tax returns to uh, to be able to say that. And but again, like I'm not saying that Bernie Sanders or O'Rourke are bad candidates or whatever because of this i think there's a genuine argument to be made where even if you don't uh, perhaps live by the things you preach you could still be effective in implementing them i don't know um but you know they chose themselves to release these tax returns i don't think there's a problem with us commenting on oh look at that that's uh that's quite quite low yeah part of that almost reminds me of pocahontas's dna test uh, oh yeah with, Elizabeth Warren yeah, yeah. that's uh, that's what it reminds me of a little bit like, like she here's... chose to take it <laughs> and it didn't end up looking so good it's like so, these guys chose to release their tax returns 
maybe there's an argument to be made that they shouldn't have. Also, those like let's let's yeah. talk about those salaries are very very high. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I'm not sure if O'Rourke's family with I think three hundred and three hundred and seventy thousand. I'm not sure if that's the top one percent, but. Mm-hmm. It'd be pretty close. It'd be pretty if close, not, right? Yeah. Pretty close. Average household income for the states is, I think, around forty-five k for household income. So he is well and beyond. And then Bernie Sanders, five hundred and sixty-six thousand dollars. Like I'm not saying he didn't deserve that. A lot of that coming from a book about socialism, right? Yeah, basically. Um, the irony, uh, and you know, whatever he he can have that, keep it. That's fine. I just think there's perhaps a broader question to be asked he's spouted on a lot about how there are too many millionaires and billionaires in our society uh and very much pushes the idea that you don't necessarily earn everything yourself if you do accrue all this massive wealth i don't think people who bring up his own wealth are it's what about is i think it's it's a genuine question to him do you think you have exploited the system do you think you've done anything wrong to get all of your wealth if you haven't and i think there's like i'm not saying he did right he he I don't know if he actually wrote that, but but at the very least, he published the book under his name. Mm-hmm. He can keep that money. Um, but I just wish he would kind of apply the same leniency toward his own wealth, toward other people's wealth. Yeah. That's what I'm going to say about that. Uh, but I think now we, uh, we're going to be back in just a few seconds with... Oh, wait. Oh, sorry. No, we're not going to be back. Um, because after this story was released, uh, O'Rourke's team has been shuffling, uh, according to Politico, which uh, we can throw up on the screen now, uh, they said that Beto O'Rourke said his campaign is working to find evidence of, quote, thousands of dollars in charitable donations not reflected in his tax return. So do you think he, like, he really is giving all this money to charity? He just, they just can't find the tax uh, I don't know either way, but I do know that if you need a campaign to help manage your personal finances, uh, that probably doesn't reflect well for your leadership of the nation's kind of economy. Probably. It's just like, I don't know what the argument, like, no, I've just actually, I've given so much to charity i just forget about all the charity that i give to because other people are like i i don't know i feel like that was not maybe the uh, the best defense on it but i would love to know like do you guys think any less of beto and bernie because i feel like the people who don't like them because of this already didn't like them yeah but do you also think that it's too late for them to give to charity now yeah yeah for sure like you can't it's (laughs) it's like it's done yeah we already know it now it's all it's out yeah and like you and i were talking about the like the christian idea of kind of piety is to give a lot of charity and to not announce it because i think now we're kind of in that like crowdfunding mentality where as soon as you give to any sort of charity online there's the option to tweet and share it like, yeah. look how much I've given to charity. And I have mixed feelings about that because on the one hand, I feel maybe sharing it is a good idea because it allows people to know about the charity mm-hmm. uh, who didn't before so we can get some publicities, maybe some more shares. But I feel like you can you can share the charity without necessarily saying, I gave this much, pat on my back, look how virtuous I am. Because that's actually, it's yep. like explicitly warned against in the Bible. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like retroactive charitable giving is not going to give you the brownie points that you would have had if you were just charitable the whole way. So I guess the moral of the story is that charity is good because you never know when you're going to be running for political office in 10 years (laughs) and you're going to want receipts to back up the idea that you are a virtuous person who should be uh, given leadership of the nation. All right, you learned it here, folks. Uh, We will be back in a few seconds with Avi Yemeni. Hey, Avi, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, Lauren. No problem. So I think for a lot of people, you've obviously um, been everywhere lately. You're getting a lot of interviews to bring attention to this issue, which is great. But I think um, for maybe some people, you first came on their radar for the whole Jim Jeffries scandal. Um, so you're, you've been a commentator for a while. You talk about things like uh, immigration and Islam, which is, I think, right off the bat, just going to make you a controversial figure. Uh, but <laughs> not that long ago, you got invited by Jim Jeffries to... Uh, be, a, be an interviewee on his show. Why don't you fill us in on what happened there? So, yeah, it was uh, late December, I believe, where uh, Jim Jeffries' producer contacted me, asking me, inviting me to onto his show, and uh, essentially uh, said, look, we're running a tour now in Australia. Um, would love for you to be a part of it. We want to discuss immigration and, uh, you know, the border wall in the U.S. Now, I knew exactly who Jim Jeffries is, um, he, he didn't do very well in Australia until he got to America, uh, ironically. And uh, he's known for pushing a lot of uh, leftist ideas. Now, I have no problem. I'm open to discussing anything with anyone. 
But I set two conditions to this engagement, and that was one, not to put me with neo-Nazis, and two, not to, you know, cut up my uh, my answers, not to cut one answer and put it with a different question. Both pretty reasonable yeah. requests, which they agreed. Um, and uh, to my horror, you know what? I wasn't surprised at all. I was kind of expecting it. That's what, like, I did set down two cameras, two phones, two iPhones on the side there, propped them up on the pillows, and no one realised because I was kind of expecting them to screw me. Uh, But I held on to it. It was a couple of months. But to my horror, they literally published this uh, in response to the Christchurch massacre, to the horrific events in Christchurch, and tried to kind of tie me into that. uh, And the first two minutes of the clip. They literally had a neo-Nazi in it, and uh, as we saw, they obviously cut up my answers. So they broke every rule, uh, and they went even further than I ever expected them to go. Um, and since then, the, you know, to add insult to injury, they've not only they've just ignored it. They've uh, not responded to the numerous. In fact, over the last what is it now? It's been a few weeks now. There have been thousands upon thousands of tweets to them, and their only response is literally to block and ban, delete any sort of uh, reaction on their own pages. You know, they've, they've literally, if you go onto my Twitter, you can see uh, threads of hundreds of people that are sharing the fact that they've been blocked, and not for saying anything outrageous, for literally asking them to simply respond and take ownership for what they've done. Right, and I think the video you've posted on this, which is on your YouTube channel, people who aren't subscribed yet can go search you, hopefully subscribe. I think that has, at this point, like over a million views. So that that footage has gone viral, and I don't think people without seeing this would be able to grasp how fully they manipulated the situation, right? Because not only are they taking your answers out of context for the questions that they've asked, but like you said, putting this interview about Islam and immigration in the context of the Christchurch shooting, when that was not, like, that happened before the, sorry, the interview happened before that even happened. I mean, it totally takes things out of context. I've been contacted by uh, places like Rolling Stone and MTV before to give interviews, and I've always said no, just because I'm so afraid of this happening. Have you ever experienced anything like this before with, like, a mainstream or left Absolutely. it, it, it was my experience that gave me the foresight right. that I don't trust any mainstream media. I don't trust anyone, especially when I know they're coming with an agenda. I'm open to talking to anyone, and I'm confident in my own views. And, you know, what I find most outrageous in this is I believe, look, I go and I, you can see on my YouTube, I engage conversation everywhere. I, I hit the streets. I talk to people that are not known, people that are well-known. And I've never had to cut somebody up. If somebody looks like an idiot, if somebody says something stupid, I literally take their response to my question and they expose themselves. But Comedy Central came into this. Jim Jeffries came into this trying to make me look like an idiot. And when I responded reasonably, they had to cut me up. They Not only did they cut up answers, they literally... Um, even cut up reactions like facial expressions. You know, they would say something silly. I would make a facial expression like, I'm like, what? And then they would cut that up to a question uh, in which Jim Jeffries is asking something that sounds like he's being reasonable. Absolutely trying to smear me and make me look like the worst kind of person. In fact, if I'd just watched that episode, that that. You know, if I'd watched that segment on Jim Jeffries' show and seen myself, I would have hated that guy. Yeah. I'm just, I'm so grateful that I actually did that. And I I doubt I'm going to get many more invitations onto uh, mainstream media or at least ones that are trying to stitch me up and not um, air what I'm actually planning on saying. Yeah, I mean, stuff like this just makes conversation between different sides really hard because I I try to have... Uh, progressives on my show all the time and most of the time they refuse to um, and right yep. now with all of this stuff going on um, you're not the first person that's been taken out of context I feel Absolutely. like I'm almost in the same place where I don't feel comfortable going on their shows because I don't trust them uh, so we're at this like weird stalemate where one side doesn't want to talk and I mean 
I'm afraid I'm going to be taken out of context. I think what you did recording yourself was probably the best thing that you could have done. And what I love about the situation, hate that you've been smeared. But what I find ironic is that not only were you very reasonable in the answers I thought of what you actually said, uh, but Jim Jeffries actually says quite a few spicy things that I think if you had said, they would have been more than happy to label you an Islamophobe. Do you, do you think he... Do you think it was just trying to, I guess, make you feel like you're among like minds, so therefore you can be as bigoted I mean, racist as you want? Or what was, what was with that? I've heard that argument before. Two things I want to point out here. Firstly, I have no problem with anything Jim Jeffries actually said. My problem in this situation is the fact that, one, he literally opened the segment by blaming people like me, literally blaming me for radicalizing this nut job white supremacist. The guy hates me. The guy hates Jews who live in Australia. He says all Jews should live in Israel. So he hates everything I stand for. Now he tried to frame it that because I dare criticize radical Islam or even question Islam as an ideology, um, I'm somehow uh, responsible for what's happening in Christchurch. I'm responsible for radicalizing this guy. But what he left out is himself, Jim Jeffries, for a long time. And I've heard the argument through this conversation that he was just saying it to bait me. He was saying it to encourage me, to make me comfortable, to get me to respond. Jim Jeffries, for a long time, has made those statements that I'd secretly recorded and, and produced. He hasn't done it publicly for a while because it doesn't suit the narrative. It doesn't suit his paycheck anymore. But... Uh, in the beginning, in, in his original comedy, he used to talk about Islam and mm -hmm. he used to make these things. That's why people used to, you know, it was he was kind of the non-PC guy. Um, so for him to today turn around and point fingers at people like me when I wouldn't even say the things he said. And, I, and, and again, I think in the context of comedy, it is fine. But you certainly don't have the right to then point fingers at me. Right. You know, I've never gone on and drawn Muhammad. I know what that means to them, and I know what it means to my potential life. Like, I just don't do that. And I also don't talk – I don't joke about killing Muslim babies. I just think that's abhorrent. And, and, and I actually pulled him up in the clip. Yeah, I and, pulled him up. No, absolutely. That. And if anyone hasn't seen the video you released, he actually does make a joke about Muslim babies. And, you know, I, I think he probably was joking, but you absolutely draw the absolutely. line there and say, no, that's not it, okay. It, 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 it was a joke. But to me, that's not even funny. Right. And because too often I get painted with this brush and people say, oh, you just hate Muslims. And, and I, if you actually watch, like on my Patreon, I'm, I put the entire hour most people aren't, aren't that interested in watching the full hour. You don't need to watch the full hour to see the hypocrisy and the lies and the fake news. But in the full hour, you actually get to see that numerous times I told him to stop conflating the issues. Muslims are a people mm -hmm. and Islam is an ideology. I like to criticize the ideology and there is no idea that is above criticism. Right. And uh, so obviously you're not taking this lying down, which I think is a good thing. You had organized a tour uh, to kind of confront some of the fake news media surrounding yourself. That didn't quite go as planned. Would you mind uh, telling us about what well, happened to you recently? It didn't, didn't go, it, it didn't go as planned, but I, I did kind of, uh, I predicted. I predicted you did. My fate. <laughs> I did on Stephen Crowder's show and he laughed me off. Um, and I was right. I said it would be funny because I'm probably going to get turned around when I get to the border. Um, what, what actually happened, because uh, there's a bit of confusion around what, what actually unfolded. I arrived in LA. Now, when I arrived, uh, I, I was on a visa waiver program that I used six months earlier. I was in the States. Seven months earlier, seven months ago, I was in the States. Um, and there was no problems. Now... This time when I come there, they scan my passport and obviously something's popped up on their screen. And they said they've taken me to a back room and the, uh, the superior officer said, oh, come with me. We've just got to update some things on the visa waiver. I think you, in Canada, you probably uh, also use the same visa waiver program. Yeah, so we don't have to, uh, when we're, we can S just kind of yeah, go through, yeah. That, that's right. I think the Commonwealth, I think. So mm -hmm. anyway, so they told me, oh, we've just got to update some details. And I'm just following them. I, fair enough. And they started asking me a few questions about my tour. I, I started to get the sense that something else was, you know, a play here. Um, and then they said, oh, listen, we uh, uh, thank you for cooperating. Come to this back room. We're just going to do a uh, 
a, a little bit of a, a more. In, we just need a little bit more information about this uh, this trip. Now, coming to this back room, I open the door and there's uh, a man and a woman, a man in a suit and a woman behind a computer there, and they've just flashed badges and going, "We're from the, we're from the FBI." And, and like, I couldn't help it. I just, I, at that moment, I understood exactly what was up. I just cracked up laughing. I go, "Comedy Central." <laughs> <laughs> and they, they just turned to me. They looked at me, and they're like, um, "This is what they said, and it's crazy." They, they, they literally turned to me. The, the man said. Um, we're actually a, a, a separate entity to Comedy Central. I'm glad we're living okay. in a world where that needs to be clarified, that the FBI is not Comedy Central. <laughs> I know, and I was just like, okay, yeah. But uh, I said, so the informant is obviously Comedy Central. They go, well, we've received a few complaints from Comedy Central, which we just need to clarify. Now, they've gone through, they had printouts of a number of uh, tweets and posts they've done on Instagram. Um Baiting Jim Jeffries and talking about uh, the tour. Now, none of it was inciting violence. They'd uh, had an image of me in the IDF that was used in a political light article talking about this tour. Uh, they were asking me about my training in the Israeli army and whether I was uh, planning on obtaining weapons and whether I was going to be. And I, by the end of it, I was cleared by the FBI. They were laughing as well and they, they said to me they actually understood where I was coming from in the fact that I was there to to defend myself against this fake news story it was literally it's been impossible to get a response from Comedy Central mm -hmm. they haven't even the, the defamatory content is still online in fact Facebook deleted my Facebook page the day after I published it, and it started to gain momentum on Facebook as well. On, on YouTube, it's got a couple of million hits. It's got over 100,000 likes. Um, on Facebook, it started to hit the same sort of numbers, and Facebook re deleted my page. There, at the same time, the Comedy Central version of it, the fake one, the one where it's all cut up and defaming me, is still on their Facebook page. So they understood and they they were kind of they thought it was it was kind of funny. So at the end of it, when they realised I didn't pose a threat, they said they putting in their report that there was no threat. I was being cleared by the FBI. There was no problem, uh, but it was up to uh, border protection and whatever it's called um, about my visa in general. Mm -hmm. um, so it went back to them, and I'd say I had a couple more interviews. And what actually came from this is is through their investigation. Um, and, and, and I want to point this out, everybody, the FBI were nice, the border protection, everyone was really chill. And in fact, a number of them were fans of mine. And they, they were like standing there going, I hope you get in and I hope you confront this Jim Jeffries. <laughs> they were cool. Um, but it, what, what turned out is that apparently in two years ago when I filled out this application for this visa waiver, the same visa waiver I got in six months earlier, when you fill in the application, there's like a heap of questions. And like most of these kind of forms, they're, they're really bizarre questions. Like, are you a terrorist? Are you a neo-Nazi? Have you been part, you know? So they're like, do you, are you hiding money? Like crazy questions where you just go, no, 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 no. And I obviously just go, no, no, no. One of the questions happened to be, have you ever been denied a visa to the US? 15 years ago, after I'd used the visa waiver, I'd applied for a, a, a longer visa, and I got denied on the basis that they thought that I was trying to immigrate to the US. This is 15 years ago, um, and I was denied a visa. Since I wrote no, so now apparently, now it means that this form that I filled out and went and got into the US under that same application six months earlier was uh, null and void. Now, mm -hmm. I, I accept that. I absolutely accept that. And that means they, they essentially said to me, you're not banned, nothing's wrong. Basically, it's literally a technicality. You've got to fly back to Australia. You've got to apply for a new visa and you're welcome to come back and please do what you're going to do. Right. So, um, I'm paraphrasing what they were saying. Um, now, if everything is as they say, then as I apply for this visa, I'll get a visa soon enough and I'll be able to um, come back. Now, essentially, it does mean... From their complaints, if, if uh, Comedy Central hadn't have complained, 
They were trying to get me banned. They practically succeeded in getting me at least banned for now. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't directly from their complaint because their complaint, the, the FBI cleared. They, la- they literally laughed it off. But from their complaint, it triggered this investigation, which found that I had made a technical error in an application two years ago, um, which no one picked up even on my last visit, which was to do with a technical thing from 15 years ago. So they practically did manage to get me banned. What I'm angry about in this whole story is not at the FBI, not at the Border Protection, not at the fact that I flew 15 hours to be interrogated for hours, to be locked in a room with... uh, I was actually in a room with about uh, probably 15 illegal Mexican (laughs) workers, you know, for 15 hours, no really any food. Not like I actually put, there was a TV, I put Fox News on there. I just thought it'd be funny. Um, And they were explaining to me that Trump was the reason for their detention. It, it, It was an experience. I'm not angry about any of that. I am angry at the fact that Comedy Central has the audacity to one, do what they did. They produced this story that tried to smear me, a story that tried to make me out to something I'm absolutely not, something I hate. Then when they were found out, they didn't apologize or take down the defamatory content. They just ignored, tried to silence anyone who dare bring it up, even to the extent where they physically tried to get me banned from the U.S., That's what I'm angry about. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm not going to take lying down. And that's what I'm going to be fighting. That's good. And I think with with this, there's kind of two issues that I see. And when I I was following on Twitter when your deportation was happening, and I did see a couple of like cheeky people who, this happens anytime anyone who talks about Islam or immigration uh, deals with any sort of immigration issue. A lot of people like to laugh, like, ha, isn't this what you wanted? I don't think, like, I mean, I think you're kind of like me where you think, all right, if you do the right thing, then come in fine. And you know what? There was a technical issue. Anyone who's ever filled out an immigration paper or procedure, I think when I was doing my student visa, they asked if I had ever sex trafficked anybody. Like, it's just like a whole bunch of things, whatever. Technicality. Absolutely. You're happy to go back, come back in the right way, which I think is what everybody wants. So there, I don't see any irony there. But what is weird, the, what people should be focusing on is that Comedy Central has, I don't know, like the power to get the FBI to show up for someone who's coming with pure, like, legal intentions that they're well within their rights to do. I, I don't know how we got to that place where, I mean, the comedy networks are, are in, I don't know, talking to the FBI about their critics. Um, but also, you mentioned kind of uh, your, your military pictures. If anyone doesn't know, like, you're Australian, obviously, but you were in the Israeli military, but which is a you know, ally of the U.S. It's it's not like you were joining ISIS or anything, despite what Comedy Central mm-hmm. may be trying to make it seem like. But uh, hope you get everything sorted. Once once you do get the visa thing all right, come back to the U.S., what exactly are your plans going to be uh, for Comedy Central? Because I think you would plan to, they're in Maryland, right, next to D.C. Uh, yeah. are, is this their protest? What's going to happen? Well... I think I've learned from this, uh, from what's happened, I've learned maybe to, uh, you know, keep my mouth a little bit right, quiet. Right, fair, fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> um, but I could tell you this, I am not going to end it here. And this is what I keep telling him. I keep telling uh, Comedy Central, and I keep advising Jim Jeffries, he's really, take a moment, call my mum, ask her. Trust me, I'm a persistent person. <laughs> Whatever you throw on me ain't going to work. You know, I am not going to take this lying down. I'm not going to be silent about it. I'm going to make this my mission until I die to make you respond to what you've done. To, You know, it is not right. I don't care if you're from the left or right. I don't care where you are politically. To take somebody out of context, to, um, to misquote them in the way that they did to me is wrong. And all they've got to do is stand up and own it. Stand up and apologise. You know, it was wrong. It's wrong on any level. Um, they think that they can, you know, sweep this under the cover. Good luck to them. I, I, this is the beginning of the story, uh, and this is just part of the journey. In fact, everything they've done so far and everything that's happened so far has only helped create more momentum to the story. You know, I've got banned now, and people are talking about that. 
it's only getting more people interested. And I'm seeing the numbers on, you know, YouTube. They, they ban me on Facebook, but I'm seeing the numbers on YouTube day by day of people getting interested in this story that they're only helping it. So at the end of the day, at some point, Comedy Central, Jim Jeffries, they're going to have to respond. Probably not the way they want to. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, thank you for keeping at it because I think this kind of stuff happens way too often, but the thing is yeah. either the person doesn't have the proof to prove that it actually happened or they don't have the time, the resources to keep going after it. So I'm glad that you are. Uh, for anyone who's not subscribed to you yet, and by the way, if you're watching this on YouTube, his channel will be in the description, but where could people find you? Yeah, so at the moment, look, I, my Facebook's gone. Um, so YouTube, um, Twitter now, Instagram. Uh, we're also now, people are turning to Telegram. Telegram's been great, so Tommy Robinson News. Um, that's where we're, with TR.News, I, I, I work with Tommy on, on the sites. I manage the TR.News site. Um, that's, that's where we're at. You know, every, every corner we turn, we get shut down, but I think people are looking for the truth and you can find it there. All right. Well, great. And again, thank you so much for coming on. There's quite the time difference in Australia, so I really appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'm off the bed. That's it for this show. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. And for those of you who are watching live, be sure to stay on this stream because we're going to be back in a few seconds with an exclusive Q&A. But aside from that, I'll see you guys next time. Bye.